there are a lot of ways and a lot of things for which we can raise a hallelujah. So before I get started this morning, I have a couple things I want to mention. You probably did notice that we have taken out some of the rows in the second service. So if you're wondering why we did that, well, typically the second service is about half the size of the first service. So um, uh, that means plenty of room for you all who normally come to second service to invite people and, uh, and have them come in, but just sort of to bring you up a little closer and a little closer together. Um, I mean, you know, there's like no issues with like germs or anything these days, right? I mean, that's, there's no issue for that. So, uh, but we want you to just be a little closer. So we're going to kind of probably do that until this service gets a little bit bigger and then we'll add in the, the rows. But I wanted to let you know, no, you're not hallucinating. We actually did move a couple of rows for the Sunday school class too. It helps in bringing them up closer and then for you. Second thing I want to mention is thank you, thank you, thank you to all those of you who either made items for the auction, bought things for the auction, or bought things at the auction. Um, the number I heard this morning, unofficial number, was about a little over $18,000 that was raised um, for building debt. And that's, um, it seems to get a little larger every year. At some point, that's probably not going to happen. It won't always be larger than it was the year before. But as I sit back, and I don't, I don't make anything for the auction. I'm not crafty. I don't know how to make anything. You don't want food that I cook. Um, but um, I'm one of those people that comes to buy things for the auction. And... Um, I have, I figured out today, I have over $650 worth of things with the word believer on them <laughs> in my office now. So um, if you like that word and you're looking for something that you, I'm willing to resell it to you for an additional donation to the, uh, to the building debt reduction fund. But uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, it doesn't have to happen anymore. Um, we're good now. <laughs> but uh, no, it's a lot of fun. But thank you, thank you. As I mean, it's, it's, whether it is, whether, whether your item seemed to bring a lot of money or a little bit of money or whatever it is, just thank you, thank you, thank you for doing it. It's such a blast. We had such a good time here last, uh, last night. So thank you for, uh, for doing that. Okay, another thing. Um, if you were at Spiritual Life Services these pa this past week when Nathan Rittenhouse was preaching, I mentioned this to somebody, I think it was Tuesday night or Wednesday night, dial back your expectations. I'm back, okay? So um, I'm not him, all right? I was mesmerized by some of the stuff he was saying and the different things. That guy's read more books than at age 33 than I will read the, my entire life. So if you really liked Nathan, you know, I, you know if you're going to be thinking in your head, you know, gee, I wonder where he's preaching. Um, maybe we could get him. Just dial back your expectations a little bit because, you know, it's not going to be quite as good as it has been over the last, uh, the last few uh, times that uh, Nathan's been, uh, been preaching. But Nathan really enjoyed his time here. He wanted me to say thank you to everyone for, uh, for coming out and um, check out his podcast. And all. So he just really, really enjoyed being here. So thank you for treating him so well and being so kind to him. Okay, now having done all of that, we're going to get into the sermon this morning. We are in the middle of our series, actually part uh, nine, I believe, of 12-part series on the Gospel of Matthew. I am going to continue. I've noticed first service, I often look to my left to the screen more than I look to the right, and we've got a projector problem this morning, so I'm going to keep, if I keep looking over there, no blank screen, just I'll keep looking over here, but I'm going to, I just know it because I'm left-handed maybe, maybe that's why I look to my left all the time, but we're in part nine of what will be 12 parts in uh, the Gospel of, of Matthew, and so we're looking at chapters 15 and 16 today, so our sermon comes out of chapter 15. 
And if you have a chance, we really encourage you to read along with us in, in Matthew. Um, we have a sermon group uh, page that you can read on some things that I post on there. Pastor Kay does a wonderful job with a sort of a daily devotional that comes up on the youth page and our church page. And uh, we're in those chapters, kind of thinking about each of those chapters and some things that are coming in there. So those are designed to just help you just to think about stuff that maybe you wouldn't have thought about before or just to share your thoughts about the scripture as you read it. Hopefully we are reading this stuff together. It's not just about listening to a sermon or singing songs. It's about doing life together, doing community together. And this series was designed to try to help us all to kind of read along and do the things together in the gospel of um, of Matthew. And so, so in chapter 15, you've got this sermon that we're going to talk about today, or the text that we're going to talk about today, the inside and the outside. And then um, Jesus gets into, he heals uh, 4,000 people. This is, excuse me, this is where he feeds 4,000 people. That's recorded for us in Matthew. He also heals a bunch of people. Then we get to Matthew chapter 16, and we have the Pharisees asking for a sign in Jesus's uh, discussion about that. Peter confesses Jesus as Christ in Matthew chapter 16. And then also Jesus predicts his death and resurrection for the first time in Matthew chapter 16. So there's really interesting stuff there. So what I want to do today is go back to the beginning of 15 and talk about this. And the other thing that's really interesting about this particular sermon is that I wrote, I write these sermons usually five, six weeks ahead of time. I wrote this sermon before I knew anything about the coronavirus. And so the first slide is how important is washing hands? So this is not at all related to the current state of, uh, you know, hygiene and situations that we're, that we're in, but it's going to have something to do with the text that Jesus is going to talk about washing hands. But I was just sort of curious. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, and, and I kind of am afraid to admit this because maybe you'll think I'm sort of gross, but like, I don't wash my hands that much. Ew, I know. So like, like, I didn't grow up in that sort of, like, some of you maybe when you grew up, like, you came in for dinner from playing, and your mom or dad would say, you know, wash your hands, don't forget to wash your hands for dinner, don't forget to wash your hands for dinner. I didn't do that, you know? I could be out playing football or whatever, you know, and just come in and eat dinner. I mean, I'm not eating with my hands, I'm using a fork and a spoon, so I didn't typically do that, and so, like, growing up, I just, it's just not like a regular thing. I mean, if, if Purell stock was just for me, there wouldn't be any Purell stock, okay? Because I don't tend to use, I'm not, I'm not speaking, just, I don't, I don't do it. What I do to try to keep myself more healthy is I eat a McDonald's cheeseburger once every six months. And if you do that, you get the good bacteria into your gut, and it helps to defeat all the other viruses and things that you may pick up that you would wash away if you wash your hands. So a McDonald's cheeseburger every six months is my way. This sermon is not approved by the CDC or by the Food and Drug Administration. But how important is washing hands? Well, it's important to wash your hands, all right? It really is important. But the reason it's important to wash your hands is in the next slide. I did it again. We wash the outside of our hands so that the germs don't get on the inside of our bodies. That's why you wash your hands. There are very few germs that can actually harm you from the exterior. Now, there are some things, I get that. There are some really sinister things out there, but those are pretty rare. So for the reason you wash your hands is that you want to wash off the germs so that the germs don't come into your, your body and do the harm. Like, the way germs really are the most harmful to you is not when they're on your skin on the outside, it's when they're on the inside of you, and they begin to breed and multiply and, and do all the kinds of things that germs and viruses do to us. And so what I want to think about is that Jesus is actually going to make that particular point today in the text that we're going to 
read from Matthew chapter 15, that it is what is on the inside that really counts. The inside is, as my title says today, the most important side. How interested are you in what's on the inside? I hope you're very interested in what's on the inside. That's what I want to talk about today. So let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees, so those are the religious leaders of the day, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus saying, Hey, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, again, this is nothing to do with cleanliness. Right? It had to do with a ritual, spiritual type purification. So if you, if you study this, if you research it, you'll get some different ideas from different, I, from different people. But for the most part, what they talked about is pe- using a very, very small amount of water. Um, in fact, one of the resources I was looking at said it was one and a half eggshells of water. And they would, they would put their hands like this, and they would pour the water onto their hands, and the water would sort of drip down off of the, the wrist. And then they would do it this way, and so they would pour water this way. And so essentially, they were ritually cleansing their hands. And depending on the particular branch of Judaism and the particular access you had to water, sometimes people would do this not only before the meal, but between every course of the meal. So there had been a tradition that had developed. Now, you're not going to find this in the law. It's not written in the Old Testament anywhere, but this was a tradition that they built up. And so they say to Jesus, hey, why don't your disciples, I mean, hey, you're supposed to be a teacher, you're a rabbi, your disciples are supposed to be following you, they're supposed to be religious people. Why don't they do this? When they sit down with their ham sandwich, Okay, probably not. But when they sit down with their sandwich, why is it that they don't wash their hands like the elders do, as we have in this tradition? And then Jesus answers the question, but this is really interesting. If you're not real familiar with Jesus' teaching the Gospels, almost all the time when Jesus is asked a question, what does Jesus do? Asks a question. By the way, that is an excellent way, an excellent skill to apply in your own life. When someone asks you a question, Ask them a question back to help you to understand exactly what it is they're looking for so that you'll be able to give a better answer. Okay, that's free. No charge for that. All right, let's move on. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? So they said, hey, why don't you follow the tradition of the elders by having your disciples wash their hands? Jesus says, hey, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? My picture is the video. They're looking at him like, what are you talking about? And so then Jesus goes on to tell them. He says, for God commanded saying, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. So Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament law. So he said, this is a command of God. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. So, so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, listen, there's a command out there for you to honor your father and mother, to take care of your father and mother. But what some of you are saying is, well, the money that I would have used to take care of my father and mother is now dedicated to the temple. Some of the Bible translations will use the word Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N. It's dedicated to the temple. It's dedicated to God. So therefore, I don't have to take care of my father and mother because my resources have been dedicated to God. Now, they didn't really 
have to actually give those resources to the temple or to the priest for, for God, but simply by saying it, they thought that they could then release themselves from the obligation, God's obligation, to take care of the father and mother, and so what they were doing is they were using their own tradition, their own rules, to negate the very law of God. So that's what's going on here, and so that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, wait a minute. Why are you doing this or not doing this that you're supposed to do? So don't worry too much about why my disciples are not washing their hands when you, in fact, are not following the commands and laws of God. And then Jesus goes on. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Now, I think this is the first time that Jesus uses this word in Matthew, but it's not the last time, all right? So as you continue to read along with us in Matthew, you will notice that the tension and the animosity between the religious leaders and Jesus grows significantly um, more as the chapters go on. Well did Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Right? So there's a principle. Not what comes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out. So then his disciples come and say to him, Do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Parenthetically, I would add, Jesus said, duh, of course I did. Verse 13, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And we're not really going to focus on that part of the text. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. What do you mean, Jesus? Explain this to us. So Jesus does. Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Right? So. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So don't worry about the fact that I'm not having my disciples wash their hands, because that does not defile them. That is not important. What is important is that the inside is the most important side. The inside is the most important side. But there are many people, perhaps some of you, who live life and who live in the context of their relationship with God as if the outside were the most important side. As if somehow that which they can do on the outside is more important to God and more integral to their relationship with God than what actually happens on the inside. And I think what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 15 is that's not the case. That the inside is by far the most important side. Three things that come out of this particular teaching of Jesus that I want to share with you this morning and ask you to think not about washing your hands before you eat, but something more meaningful and significant. Number one, focusing on the external leads to ignoring the internal. Focusing on the external leads to ignoring 
the internal. When you and I place our focus on the outside things, it tends to m allow us to ignore what is most important and what is really um, important to us. So Jesus said here in verse 7, thus you have made the commandments of God of no effect by your tradition. So there wasn't anything in the, in the uh, prof prophetic literature, nothing in the law about saying that uh, you don't need to take care of your honor, you don't need to honor your father or mother if you dedicate your money to, to the temple. That's not in there anywhere. It's not written down anywhere, but they came up with it. And so it's an external thing, and they came up with it so that they could ignore or didn't have to do the thing that they really needed to do. They needed to do the honoring the father and mother, but they didn't want to do that, so instead of doing that, they came up with something that they could justify a way of ignoring what they were supposed to do, and that was easier for them. Honoring your father and mother, as well as many of the other things that God tells us to do, is difficult to do. It, it doesn't have boundaries around it. It's, it's hard to understand. You know, Jesus said, love, love God. You know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not easy to do for me. I don't even know what that means most of the time. I struggle with what that means. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? I, I have a hard time knowing what that looks like. So if I just sort of stop the noise by coming up with a list of some things that I'll just do in order to do that. So I'll say this or I'll do that, but that's not what God is interested in. God is interested in the inside of me. He's interested in that tension. He's interested in me working through that struggle. He's interested in me not quite knowing what it is that I'm supposed to be doing, because if I do, I'll tend to just draw the line there, and I won't go across it. And so focusing on the externals leads to ignoring the internal. Another way of looking at it is accomplishing the easier external actions leads to ignoring the more difficult internal ones. Jesus quotes from Isaiah, the prophet who wrote about, you're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And, and I think that on Jesus' mind there was the idea of the sacrificial system, right? In the Old Testament, the sacrificial system was a way in which people worshiped God. You were supposed to bring your best animal to take it to the sacrifice. And throughout the Old Testament, in the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and we read this in Malachi, we read that what people tended to do was not think so much about the internal part and instead focus on the external part. Bringing the animal to sacrifice so they could check the box. But all along, God said, no, it's really not about the death of an animal. I mean, why is God interested in the death of an animal? What's really important to God is what's going on on the inside. That when you brought that animal to sacrifice, you had an understanding and acknowledgement of your own sin before a holy God. And that you were agreeing with God that the way that you could receive forgiveness of that sin was to provide that sacrifice. Now all of that points ahead, of course, to Jesus, but you know, if you're in the days of Abraham and the days of Moses, you don't know anything about the person of Jesus, really, but you know that you are supposed to be repentant for your sin, and you're supposed to receive forgiveness of that and restore the relationship with God, and so bringing the animal was simply a way that you outwardly reflected what you wanted to do on the inside, but if you didn't have the attitude on the inside, it really didn't do any good to bring it on the outside. You know, I mean, you didn't get up and you say, hey, Oh, we got to go to that, do that stupid temple thing today. Grab that sheep. No, not the good one. Get the sick one. 
If you did that and you brought it to the temple and you offered it, an animal died, but nothing else happened. And so God is, is warning his people all the time, don't do that. Don't bring me something just simply on the outside. I'm looking for how that thing that I prescribe for you to do reveals and allows you to reveal to me what is on the inside of your heart. So focusing on the externals can sometimes lead to ignoring the internals. Second thing, and this is related and maybe even a little bit more dangerous, is that the external then becomes a substitute for the internal. So the idea is that I'm going to do this tradition, I'm going to do this particular activity, and not only does it maybe lead me to ignore what's coming, but maybe this is even worse, because if we just simply ignore it, then maybe there's still a, a longing, an emptiness somewhere. But if now we've transitioned to thinking, I'm not really ignoring what's most important to God, I think that doing this thing on the outside is actually accomplishing what's most important for God. So I bring the animal, and I don't really have to deal with the gnawing inside of me. I'm just, that's good, that's what God wants. He wants the animal. He doesn't want anything else. And so actually now the external has replaced the internal. Another way of looking at it, keeping the externals is wrongfully seen as obeying the internals. I'm not obeying God by bringing the sickly lamb that I'm just tired of even messing with that I'm going to bring an offer. I'm not obeying God by doing that. I'm just going through the motions. And, and I am doing some sort of religious activity that doesn't really change anything on the inside. Again, Jesus says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now look at the next sentence. And in vain they worship me. Think about that phrase. In vain they worship me. They think they're worshiping me. Right? But look at the phrase, in vain. That's not a good word. It means it's not working. In vain they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men taking the commandments of men, the unimportant things, the external things, and replacing what really matters with that. Men and women, boys and girls, we are all pretty good at that if we're not careful. There are many people in church buildings across America today for whom the hour that they attend church is not so much about God, it's just a prerequisite to going out to lunch. And making sure they gather their stuff up and getting out early so they can get to the lunch place before the other services get out. That's just the way it is. But they check their box. I went to church. God, you should be pleased with me. I worshiped you. Eh, really? Maybe the worship was in vain. We can get this way with all kinds of spiritual practices. We can get this way with reading our Bibles, which is a great thing to do. It's a great thing to read our Bibles. But if, if reading the Bible becomes just sort of this little thing you want to check so that you can say you did it, or you can sort of let God know you did it as if he doesn't already know, now it's a problem. It's an external thing. It doesn't, it doesn't reveal anything on the inside. Jesus drills down on this again. As again, I told you that we got later on in Matthew, the, the temperature is rising, the conflict is rising. And by the time you get to Matthew 23, it's boiling, all right? <laughs> I mean, it's boiling in Matthew 23. 
And Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So you're focused in on this little stuff, the stuff that doesn't really matter, and you're assuming that that stuff that doesn't really matter that you think is such a great sacrifice for you is replacing all the things that you really should be doing that matter to me. Justice, mercy, faith. Uh, separating your spices out and making sure that you tithe them doesn't, doesn't, do any, doesn't fulfill anything that has to do with, the fa- with faith or with justice or mercy. But you think it does. And so you're like a blind person leading the blind person. And that's part of where, and I, I don't really have time to get into that particular part of the text too much, but that's part of where I think we, we have to be cognizant of the way that other people watch us. Right? If, if other people watch our religious observance, if other people watch our relationship with God, and what they see is the superficial kinds of things, we're kind of leading them in the wrong way. You know, if you're about to go on a hike, and your guide shows up with a white walking stick, eh, probably not going to go follow her or him. So what, we, what Jesus is warning us against, warning them against, rebuking them and warning us against is don't focus on the externals because it, it tends to lead to either ignoring the internals, what's really important, or substituting those externals for what's really, really important to where it looks like this, that the external religious ritual is actually seen as godliness and righteousness. I shudder to think how many people self-identify as Christians in America who think that attending church, simply attending church, is righteousness. I shudder to think how, that just simply showing up is righteousness. It's not. It's not righteousness. Hopefully, it provides an environment and a space and a place in which we can connect with God in a community to where we can nurture the righteousness that comes through Christ. But it's not righteousness. It's not, it's not godliness in and of itself. Any more than, oh, get the sick one and bringing it to the temple was righteousness. There's no righteousness there. It was always in the attitude. So, so what, do we, what do we do with this? If we've lost touch with these things, how do we, how do we correct it? Well, I think that leads me to my last point. Fixing the internals requires surgery from the inside out. Jesus says, from out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the idea that in the ancient world, they didn't understand the brain, they didn't understand the nervous system, and so they thought that the, 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 seating, the seat of your emotions and feelings was where? It was inside you, right? So that's why when um, in... Um, Matthew chapter 13, it talks about Jesus being moved with compassion. I shared with you that that word has to do, it's actually the word for bowels. It's the word for the internal organs of your body. Because as you get nervous, where do you feel it, right? You feel it in your stomach, right? You have butterflies in your stomach. As you, as you, you, know, you feel that the nerves, se- the feelings seem to come from here, right? This is where they seem to come from. 
your heart starts beating faster when you're nervous. It's not like you, your brain is moving faster. You don't understand any of that. Now, we understand now that those things are all done from signals sent from the, from the brain, but they didn't understand that in the first century. So that's why we have all these expressions from out of the heart proceeds this. And that's why you and I talk about gut feelings and we talk about gut instincts and we talk about that because we're using that same language that, that's left over from, you know, 1,000, 2,000 years ago or even before. But Jesus, so when he says from out of the heart, he's not talking obviously about your heart, but he, what is he talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about your insides, your, your essence. From out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, faultlessness, blasphemies. How do we get rid of those things? How do we work on those things? Not by this. This doesn't do anything for that. There are many things in life Many serious medical conditions require surgery, right? If you need a double bypass because your coronary circulatory system is blocked and messed up, you can't do that from the outside, right? You can't do it. You can't get a chest massage to take care of your double bypass problem. They have to do what? They have to cut you open, now, I know in today's world, many times we can do surgeries without having to do a lot of incisions, but some of the major surgeries still require them. You got to get cut open. That's what has to happen spiritually to us. We have to get cut open. Well, who does that? Well, the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit is the surgeon. And the word of God is the scalpel. The Holy Spirit is the surgeon, and the word of God is the scalpel. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I love that verse, and I hate that verse. Because, because what... What we're being told here is that we need surgery. We sometimes need to be cut to the heart. What does that mean? It's a euphemism. It's an expression, meaning that we have to get real. We have to let the word of God open us up so that God can get rid of the junk that's in there that will never be dealt with by externally washing. Only by letting the word of God, the spirit of God, have access to what's inside. Will you do that? Will you allow him to have that kind of access in your life? To deal with what needs to be dealt with in your life? Or will you settle for washing the hands? One of the things that I also know about surgeries, and thankfully I've never had a surgery. I'm sure it'll come down the road somewhere. <laughs> surgeries don't take five minutes. They take a while. They take a while. I'm going to ask you to consider something, and I've asked this before, and 
I'm going to ask it again. If you know that there are some things that need to be dealt with on the inside, would you check into the hospital maybe this afternoon? Don't go to the regular hospital. See Dr. God. Maybe, maybe if you think about particular thing that's bothering you, or go home on your phone or your computer, type in Bible verses about whatever, whatever it is, and go read them. And give God an hour. Say, well, an hour? Yeah, an hour. Give him an hour. Read those verses. Meditate on those verses. Think about how those verses apply to your life, about whatever it is that you need, that God, you want God to remove from you. You say, well, that'll only take me five minutes. Okay, do it again. Let him do surgery. And if you want to bring someone else in the community to help you with that, do it. Bring someone else into the picture, but do it. Don't be satisfied with washing your hands. Because all of us need surgery. All of us. And God is most interested on what's going on in the inside because it, it is the most important side. Let's pray. Father, I, I know how much easier it is to focus on the outside. It was much easier for the scribes and Pharisees to prescribe ritual hand washing than it was for them to honor their father and mother. It's much easier for me to practice religious ritual than it is to actually allow myself to be laid open before you. Because you will move me in directions that I, in my flesh, do not want to be moved. You will reveal things in me that need to be changed and transformed that cannot be changed and transformed without you. For some, it could be a particular sin. For others, it could just simply be this lack of real fervor for you. None of those things will change with washing our hands. But they can change if we open ourselves up to the surgery of the Holy Spirit with the scalpel of the Word of God. Though the outside is what most people see, you know the thoughts and intents of the heart. Father, none of us will get it right all the time, but I'm thankful for your grace and your mercy as we tap into that but as we just are honest before you. And again, sometimes it may mean bringing some other people into the conversation. May we let you, the great physician, do the surgery you need to do. In Jesus' name.